Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which has multiple platforms um, to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. At our core, we believe collaboratively we can really win this battle against dementia. And I know we're making a difference because of our recognition from Dr. Oz and ShareCare saying that we were the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's. So again, I thank you. That is not about us. That is about our community that we've grown together. And that is so, so cool. So I appreciate you tweeting us and liking us and sharing these episodes with your friends and family and colleagues. It truly is making a difference out there. Um, For some of you that are new, what we do on Alzheimer's Space is just try to get this conversation rolling. On the radio platform, we do interviews with people who have dementia, um, family caregivers, professional caregivers, um, advocates, um, a little bit of anybody who has a voice and has something to say to make a positive change regarding Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And on our other platforms, we have Dementia Chats, which we'll be holding this afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's a webinar platform. You're more than welcome to join, and you can find that information on our website and blog. And um, there I interview our experts, those who actually have the disease. And today our topic, we're going to talk about the variety of supports that are available to both people living with dementia and those dealing with it. Um, What what do you like? um, What's working? And what do you need that we need to create yet out in the marketplace for you? So we're really about raising awareness through the blogs, the resource website, etc. And I, again, feel really strongly that by working together, we can give people hope. Um, No longer can we be a society that's driven by fear. We need to teach people how to live with this disease and not as it. And so I would love you to join uh, join us today. And if you signed in using Facebook, um, you can communicate with me in the chat box. Otherwise, you can always call in live to the show, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364. 364-4757. Then you'll just have to push one to get into my waiting um, waiting room. And when there's a break in the conversation, we'll go ahead and pull in your questions and comments. 
And remember, all the shows are archived, and so you can come back. You know, if you have to scoot, don't worry that you're going to miss it. You can always come back and listen later and, again, share uh, the episode with family, friends, and colleagues. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, who has early onset, may or may not um, pop into the show. If Rick's available, I will definitely pull him into the conversation. Today we're going to have, uh, I think, a really good time. Um, we have Ron Culberson with us, and Ron is not only a professional a speaker colleague of mine, but he is the 2012-2013 president of the National Speakers Association. The man is amazing. He's recognized as an expert on the benefits of humor and laughter, which we all need, and he's going to share some of his insights with us today. With his master's degree in social work, Ron spent the first part of his career working in a large hospice organization as a clinical social worker, manager, and senior leader. He's a speaker, humorist, and author of Do It Well and Make It Fun, and he's delivered over a 1,000 presentations to organizations, government agencies, and nonprofit organizations. His mission is to help um, help us become more successful by combining excellence and fun. And today he's going to give us, um, dealing with dementia, permission to find that fun and laughter within our caring roles. So I'd like to welcome Ron to the show. How are you doing today, Ron? Great, Laurie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled. I am um, uh, for my audience that doesn't know, uh, Ron was just in Minnesota and just did a fabulous presentation uh, to teach us professional speakers um, kind of the tricks of his trade in terms of humor, and it was an absolutely fantastic presentation where he was so gracious in sharing his insights and his skills and his methods with us. And I know what he's going to tell us today is going to help us all because Laughter is such a critical piece of our life and our, our the core of our relationships. I truly believe that. And for some reason, um, when when there's illness, we seem to think we can't laugh anymore. And that's such a huge loss. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, before we um, get into some some pinpoint questions, Ron, can you give our audience just a little bit of background on yourself? Have you personally been touched by dementia at all? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that because uh, I uh, my, I was uh, very uh, the the youngest child in my family by a long way. My uh, my my mother calls it a pleasant surprise. I call it an accident. Um, but <laughs> my, I have a, two sisters and a brother, and they're quite a bit older than me. Um, but so I didn't know my grandparents. The three of the four grandparents had died before I was born. But the the one grandmother that I did know, she uh, developed dementia. And and you know this was years ago. I'm 52. So when I was about 10 or 12 years old, I remember encountering it for the first time and was really um, uh, quite alarmed and not really sure what was going on. Um, beyond that, my professional career in hospice care has put me in a situation where where on a regular basis I dealt with dementia, whether it be family members or patients that I served. And and then, of course, um, you know, we all have uh, friends uh, who have dealt with it with parents or with loved ones. So so that's kind of where I come at it, both uh, a little bit personally as a child, but also uh, quite a bit professionally. And, and I think, as I mentioned to you, I 
I've had the, the privilege of speaking at a number of caregiver conferences where I've, I've worked, uh, you know, I've been talking to people who are caregivers of folks with dementia. There, there, there's some folks in the area that work in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Association to put on conferences around here, and I've participated in several of them. Wonderful. Can you can you tell us, um, you know, how did you how did you kind of get into uh, the business um, in terms of both, you know, starting in the the hospice area and then all, you know, kind of transforming into being a humorist and author. Well, it's interesting. I, uh, I I told somebody the other day I was that guy in high school that wanted to be class clown, and uh, uh, and yet I got teacher's pet, and it just crushed me uh, because I didn't get <laughs> class clown. But I was always funny, and I think part of that was natural. I think I got a little bit of it from my parents. My mother was a very, it is still a very social person. My father died a few years ago, but he was he was an MC and he performed, um, you know, in college and plays, and uh, so I got a little bit of that from him. But I was always always funny, always enjoyed humor, but never dreamed that it was actually something you could do as a profession. I, I didn't like stand-up comedy because I didn't like the environment of performing in, in bars and clubs. That just didn't appeal to me. So I just really didn't think about it until I got into uh, college and started doing some reading on my own on the benefits of humor. And I'm talking about the psychological benefits, the uh, physical health benefits, the social benefits, the spiritual benefits, and uh, just was intrigued by by what little bit of writing was out there, but uh, but but seeing a um, a trend where more and more people were doing their research on it, they were studying it more, and so when I got into graduate school in social work, I did my gra- my thesis on the relationship between humor and depression. So I amassed this uh, quite extensive library of research articles and books and materials on the benefits of humor. And uh, so I do consider myself somewhat of an expert in that area. Now I don't do regular research now. I'm not in a you know an academic setting where I'm doing my own research, but I certainly keep up with some of the things that are being done. And uh, in the process, thought this would be something that other people would enjoy and benefit from. So I uh, began doing short presentations where I worked. I worked in a hospital at the time. I worked in a psychiatric hospital, and then there was another psychiatric hospital in town. So they invited me to come do the same program there. And then after my master's degree in social work, I started working in hospice care and uh, started speaking at the National Hospice Organization Conference, which was my professional association at the time. And uh, as I told uh, the speakers at, at your event and some others, because I was a funny speaker on top of uh, the, the information that I had, I kind of stood out because, like you said, we get into these environments where people are ill or people are dealing with uh, physical or uh, psychological challenges, or, or you know, in a hospice setting, and it gets very intense, and people get very serious. And not to uh, imply that it's not a serious situation, but I think what happens is, is because of the overwhelming nature of the situation, we tend to to be almost just immersed and uh, uh, consumed by it. So, so the fact that I was somewhat funny, I stood out, and um, and so I started getting a lot of requests to speak, and that basically launched my uh, my career because I realized that uh, I was doing it enough that I could actually focus on it full time and probably probably match my my salary or better it I, I was a social worker so I wasn't getting paid that much it wasn't hard to <laughs> to beat it but um but that's kind of how I started and 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 for most of my career uh, the bulk of my clientele has been in the healthcare environment whether it be hospitals or 
associations, healthcare associations, or uh, home care agencies, that kind of thing. Okay, and um, with the with the humor, were, did you find your audiences were just really kind of surprised that they were laughing? I know when I go in, I I uh, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a humorist, but I definitely use humor. Um, and people are just shocked. I, I use like these goofy rubber chickens, and they—they're just—they can't believe it, you know. Just to get them to feel a little bit silly um, in a serious situation, you know, walk away with good solid points um, and tips that they can take. And and I think, uh, you know, for me, I've had people come up, and I, I would imagine you have too, where people are like, "Thanks for making this fun." Right. Well, I th- I think today. Um you know, we have so much information overload through the internet and through television and other media that um, that uh, anything we can do to make the information that we have more accessible to the audience um, helps. And I think humor is one of those tools. I think storytelling is one of those tools. It allows us to to convey the information in a way that's a little more enjoyable for the audience. So I think they appreciate that. I, I think they appreciate not having to sit there and just listen to, um, you know, Content after content after content, especially if it's serious. So uh, we're, I think we're doing them a favor when we can lighten things up a little bit. Yeah, and don't you think that goes on on one-on-one relationships as well for family, you know, uh, caregivers? You know, sometimes we're we're so intent on the task and we really forget about the relationship and just it's okay to have fun and be silly. That's what you did before. You know, don't right. lose that peace because it it brings us. I think it brings us balance and brings us right. closer. Yeah, I, I uh, when I talk to caregivers, especially, um, I think it's real important to to understand that life has both joy and tragedy in it, and that's the nature of life. Uh, nobody is going to get through their entire life with nothing but joy, and nobody's going to get through their entire life with nothing but tragedy. But when we find ourselves in a in a in a serious or challenging situation, it is so easy to only see that as if that's the only thing going on. Um, you know, I worked in a hospice environment, and I would challenge anybody to find a more serious environment to work in. That being said, there was a lot of humor and a lot of fun because we appreciated the need for the balance. So so when I would go in and work with a patient or family the first time, I often would ask them what role humor had played in their lives because what I was trying to get at is to try to get at what their perspective was and what their understanding was of humor and, and whether they appreciated it. And some people, some people would say there's nothing funny about what's going on. They'd be very reactive. And so I would know that perhaps they were in a place where – um, they weren't receptive to the idea that humor could be beneficial at that point. Over time, that might change. But other people would say things like, well, before this happened, we used to tell jokes together, we went to funny movies together, we had a great time, but we've lost that. And so what that said to me was it was a part of who they were as a person before the illness. And somewhere along the way, they've, they've gotten so serious about it, they weren't they weren't able to deal with it. And one one man in particular told me that his family had gotten so serious about his illness that they didn't even allow him to enjoy humor. And so what we did was we sat down with the family and the patient. We said, hey, look, he's really wanting to get back to some of that humor that he so enjoyed, but I think the family was just feeling uh, some of the grief related to his illness or just the the, the, tra- the challenge of the caregiving. And 
just thought that maybe in some ways it would be insensitive or offensive if they enjoyed humor. Once we talked about it and once we gave everybody permission that in the midst of something serious, it is perfectly okay to also laugh at something funny, they totally changed their routine. And they started watching funny movies together again. They had joke-telling sessions over dinner. And uh, I saw the guy a couple of weeks later, and he was like a different person. Now, this is someone who was terminally ill, but he was a different person. His countenance had totally changed. And uh, and to me, that just is the epitome of what it's all about. We're not laughing at the situation. We're not laughing at the person. Um, we're laughing at the things that come up in day-to-day life that, that everybody experiences. Uh, and that's where we can find that balance. Well, and I, you know, what I tell people is it's so critical because, you know, uh, to me we remember three things in life, what saddens us, what scares us, and what brings us joy. And and how do you want to remember this person? You know, how do you want to remember your relationship? I, I, I mean, I always go to the funny and to the yep. silly and to those, those heartfelt moments. And, you know, it's... And it just it lightens me up. I mean, physically, I can I can feel my body change um, versus if I go to something sad or something scary. And I think most people can relate to the physical changes that they feel within themselves. Well, that happens with somebody with dementia, even in later stages when they can't communicate. They right. still are taking all this stuff in. Um, and you know, if we watch closely we'll be able to see some signs, but we're not right. going to find what we don't look for. And right. so part of it is teaching ourselves um, to look for those things and, and to be able to embrace. Um, you know, I think so many people, you know, talk about hospice workers and, and what angels they are, and I think part of it is is because they are able to bring in that balance and they are able to really focus on those those good things because they don't you know they they haven't had that long term relationship and they're not feeling the loss that maybe a family person um, is going through but they're such um, they have such a calming presence and and I think can teach us so much in terms of how to relate and really what is important later in life and and really it's important all through life. Right. Um, some of us just don't learn that till till we have to. Right. Um, you know, with that. Well, and one of the thing, one of the examples you talked about is that um, uh, reminded me that when you know, as a part of uh, my hospice work, but also because I grew up in a small town, I went to a lot of funerals growing up because it was just one of the things you did. You know, it was uh, uh, there were, you, you knew so many people, and it was just uh, out of respect you went to the funeral and. One of the things I noticed over my over the years as I went to funerals was that there was often a lot of humor used in funerals. And I thought, you know, on the surface you would think that would be odd, but I think what, what that represents is is that people are acknowledging that, yes, this is a sad time. Nobody's denying that, and nobody's trying to avoid it. But at the same time, we also remember the funny things about the person or the things that the person enjoyed. And what that was creating was a sense of balance. And when you're talking about someone who has an illness or a, a physical challenge or even a memory challenge, um, it's so easy to feel like that consumes all of of what we're focusing on. But but in reality, it's just a part of what's going on, just like anything we experience in our life. 
Now, granted, it's a very serious part, and uh, and we don't want to to minimize that. But but if that's all we focus on, we're sometimes missing wonderful opportunities to embrace uh, little joys and little experiences along the way that really truly uh, give us that sense of balance, but also make the make the journey just much more bearable. Yeah, definitely, uh, and it's. You know, one of the biggest struggles I think that people have when they're dealing with dementia is losing their core relationships. And humor can really bring that back in in such a a beautiful way, um, relaxing, you know, the caregiver and the care receiver, you know, those care partners and really bringing them back together. Um, and I've never heard one person who's who's been ill, if it's dementia or cancer or whatever, um, who hasn't made this comment to me over their, the term of their illness. And it's like, you know, I wish things were back to normal. And I'll say, what's normal? I miss the laughter. Yeah. I miss yeah. I miss that connection. I miss being able to be light and feeling like I still have a life instead of focusing yep. on that it's it's ending. And yeah. I don't think that we even know that we're doing that most of the time, that we're having that kind of impact um, right. on one another. Um, can you share with us at all any um, particular examples of of um, what, what or how maybe care partners could um, apply when they're, you know, coping with, with Alzheimer's disease or dementia? Well, I think the first thing for me has always well, let me back up a minute. My my um my focus of my work currently is on this concept called do it well, make it fun. And um and and what that really uh represents is that um in everything we pursue in life or work, if we if we try to do a great job at it, if we try to seek excellence while making the experience or if you want to call it the process of what we're doing, more enjoyable, it really takes us to a new level of success. So the example that I often use with people in a work environment is if you've ever had a boss that was really good at what he or she did, but they were fun to be around, it made your life easier as an employee, and you were more likely to want to work with that person and want to produce more. And I think that happens in our life. If if we try to do a good job at parenting or if we try to do a good job at being married or if we try to do a good job as a manager or a leader, but at the same time, we're we're dually focused on how do I make the experience of what I'm going through more enjoyable, more fun. What happens then is that when we find ourselves in those situations that cause us stress, we're not diminishing the integrity of what we're doing, but we're just making the process more bearable or enjoyable. So, so first and foremost um, is that I would say for all caregivers and and, it's, and uh, let's separate this out from people who are experiencing dementia and people who are caregivers. For caregivers, first and foremost, they got to be good at the role of caregiver. So what does that mean? It means attending to the things that need to be done and finding ways of doing those well. Sometimes we can do them ourselves. Sometimes we have to um, enlist the help of somebody who's better at it than us. I'm not good at some aspects of my business. So in order for me to succeed in business, I have to actually get other people to help me with that. But that, to me, is my way of seeking excellence. I may not have the skills or abilities to do certain things, so I'm going to get somebody to help me out with it. So uh, we have to be good at what we do. Um, 
as a patient or as a as a as a person experiencing dementia or uh you know in those early early stages when we are, are struggling with trying to figure out how to get through it again the same principle applies um rather than ignoring what we're going through denying what we're going through avoiding dealing with it it really means facing it head on saying how can i do this well so um you know give me an example let's do a cancer analogy somebody gets diagnosed with cancer um, but continues to have a poor diet, continues not to exercise, uh, misses doctor's appointments, they're not dealing with the illness well because they're avoiding the very things that might help make it better or easier to cope. So I think the responsibility is on each of us individually to understand there are things that we can do to be better at it. Then the next part of the process is the do it, do it well, make it fun, the make it fun part, is to, to look at everything we do as a process. And when we see it as a process, we can break it down into steps, and then the steps can be analyzed in a way to say, okay, where's the opportunity to make this more fun? So, um, you know, so I think about just uh, all the things that go along with being a caregiver. What are the things that really drive you nuts, and uh, how can those be uh, more enjoyable? Um, now, what you have to know are what things that you enjoy. So let me give you a personal example of what I do. So I know that sometimes I need to write, but I am challenged because I sit down and I don't feel creative. But I also know that if I put myself in certain situations, I, I enjoy it more and I become more creative. So for me, I go to Starbucks, and I use that, that environment where there's a little bit of activity, there's a little bit of music playing, I can watch people come and go. For whatever reason, that inspires me to be creative. So... If I'm struggling with something, I know if I put myself in that, that part of the process in another environment, I'm more creative. Um, as a caregiver, if I know that if you know I'm going to have a particularly stressful week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something in the process throughout the week to give me a break or to give me an opportunity to enjoy something fun. Um, and that, that, that implies that you have to know what those things are for each person. Um, so when I used to talk about just pure humor, I used to say, what is it that makes you laugh? And then make sure you incorporate a little bit of that on a regular basis. So if somebody likes to watch sitcoms, every day try to get a dose of that. You know, Try to get a dose of that to give you the balance you need in your life uh, or every, every couple of days or whatever it might be. So it's, it's really just breaking down the process and figuring out where can I have some impact on this. Well, that's wonderful. I think that's a really good point is that you have to know what, you know, what uh what you enjoy. I I know when I was in the um depths of caregiving and then my dad died. Um people go, "Well, you know, what are you going to do because I had this huge void in my life because he was just such a massive massive piece of of who I who I become. You know, I was right. I was his I was his caregiver." and his daughter and and that's really what what I did and I gave up a lot of things and people would say well what do you like to do and I really had to think because I didn't know anymore right I literally and, and didn't I th- know and I think one of the things we have to acknowledge uh, there's a wonderful book out there called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and what I love about this book is that he says the only time we really have in our life is right this moment that's the only time that we can affect anything is what we can do in this moment. And he says, but most of our stress comes from the fact that we are in our minds either worrying about what's coming or regretting what's happened. In other words, we get in our minds and we think about, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, or uh, we're afraid of what might happen tomorrow or the next week. 
And so we're spending all of the present moment in a place of stress, worrying about something that hasn't even come yet. So his his uh, his, uh, his suggestion, if you will, or his theory is that we only do what we can do in the moment, and we let go of everything else. And um, and I think what happens is is that um, that we do spend a lot of time worrying and uh, worrying about things that we have no control over when, in fact, we could be focusing on the moment. And, and that, to me, is where the gold comes in how we cope. So in this moment, what can I do right now to change this moment? And, and obviously, you know, it's, it's not saying ignore the future, don't do anything to plan for the future, because there are things that we can do in this moment that do impact the future. But there are some things that we can affect, and those are the things that often we're focused on that cause us the stress. So when you were saying, you go, i got to think about what it is I like to do, in that moment there's something we can always do and always experience um, to change the experience of that moment. But, but oftentimes if we really pay attention, we're not thinking about the moment, we're thinking about something else, and that's where we can generate a lot of stress for ourselves. Yeah, I also, and, and I say this all the time on the, on the air and when I speak, is I really believe this disease is here to teach us about living in the moment because it is so precious. And you don't want to lose any more time, you know, you know, worrying about the past and or regretting it and worrying about the future because neither can you control for the most right. part. And right. you know if you're if you're living in either of those worlds, you're missing out of a lot of opportunities before you. And for me, the disease has also taught me how to play again, not right. to take life so seriously and to appreciate it at a at a much deeper level, one that I didn't even know existed because I, I always thought I was a pretty compassionate person. Um, but you know, it has made me a much better person. Um, right. Because I'm I'm more appreciative, I'm more attentive. I I look, you know, I look for those little positive things instead of focusing on the negatives. I I kind of blow those things off. I, I just I don't have time. I, I've decided that's not where I want my energy to go anymore. And right. so I have a lot less stress in my life. And you know, my my mom has taught me how to play again. Right. And that's that's huge. Well, and I think what's what's one of the biggest challenges is is that most of us are not hardwired that way. And so our brains don't naturally go in that direction. We uh you know, we tend to react differently. Um uh you know, I, I often talk about in my programs how we, we're kinda groomed in our lives to see the negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to really focus on that, that tends to be what gets the most publicity. If you look at the news or you look at television, it's usually a very negative focus that gets most of the press. So we're kind of psychologically groomed to think, well, you know, I've got to focus on the negative. So we have to almost retrain ourselves to think differently and to see differently. Um, and when I talk to when I talk to your group of speakers in, in Minnesota and talk to um, other speakers, you know, I talk about how people will come up to me and go, I don't know where to get – uh, new material for my programs. I'm like, my, my thinking is, where do you not get it? Uh, because we're not paying attention to what's happening around us. And you know, when, when we're dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia, um, you know, funny things happen in the caregiver role. Funny things happen when people are in the hospital. Funny things happen in assisted living facilities. 
And if we don't see those and just see them for what they are, just one of those life foibles, it's just one of those weird things that happens, and and embrace it, um, we do miss a lot of things that are right around us, and I believe those are gifts to us that kind of are there to help us through the process. And, uh, I mean, you know, my mother one time had a knee surgery, and uh, because she was having some digestive problems, they wanted to do a colonoscopy, and the nurse was standing in there talking to her, and she she was asking her all these questions about what would happen and everything, and the nurse could tell my mother was getting kind of worked up about the whole thing, and so when we were all finished the conversation, the nurse just looked at her and patted her on the on the arm and said, don't worry about it, honey, everything will work out in the end. And we just cracked up. You know, we just lost it. My mother and I just both laughed because the nurse had no idea what she said. She just turned and walked out of the room, and we thought that was hysterical. Well, you know, those are the things that happen all the time. But if we are so consumed by the negative of what's happening, we we miss those opportunities to really embrace the fun and the joy and the positive. And it's not to, again, it's not to diminish the the integrity of what's going on. It's just to say, okay, in this moment, I can laugh for a minute, and that's okay. Yeah. That reminds me of a story with my, my dad had brain cancer, and he um, we were driving someplace, and all of a sudden he just got this really kind of scared look on his face, and I was driving, he was the passenger, and he, he just got really pale, and he was sweating, and I'm like, Dad, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. He's like, I'm, I'm just not really feeling good, and and I'm like, okay, I'll get you home, not a problem. You know, how aren't you feeling? He's like, my butt, it's just sweating. He's like, I, I don't know what it is. He's like, I, I just, I've never had this happen before. I said, Dad, your seed eater's on. Seed eater? What's a seed eater? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and he was, I mean, he thought maybe it had something to do with his with his brain cancer, you know, with right, his cancer. Right. And it was a new symptom, and he was just... He was he was just so frightened. We laughed. I bet for twenty minutes on the way home, and I still every time I think of that story, it just makes me roar because it was just a hilarious moment in what could have been a really serious situation, or he thought, but it was just a simple goofy thing that's just one of those normal things, you know, like with your mom and the colonoscopy. That's that's sad, and and those are those are stories that you share. And you get others laughing, and you know it just it just lightens lightens the situation, and it and to me it just warms the heart of having those moments that you shared together at that well, level. And you, and you know what you know when, uh, not to get too philosophical about this, even though I am a deeply shallow person. Um, <laughs> this, this, if you step back for a moment and think about that experience metaphorically, isn't that what we do in life? We take something that really is not a problem and we turn it into a major concern. And um, and 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 let's just say that you never discovered that it was the seed heater. Now your dad could have gone to that place where that's all he focused on—that there's something seriously wrong with me—and and worried about that for days or weeks or months. And um, and that's what we have a tendency to do sometimes is that we get and, and I, believe me I don't don't hear me saying that we should ignore symptoms or anything like that I'm not saying that I'm saying that sometimes we'll take something very very minor and it becomes all consuming and in the big scheme of things you know if we looked at it 10 years later and look back and go why in the world did I worry about that we realize how we had taken a a, a relatively insignificant experience and just turned it into something major and that's what we really have to be careful about doing, uh, because if we don't pay attention to that, we can we can just kind of put ourselves in a constant state of stress, and that's not helpful for anybody. 
No, no, that makes makes it worse for everybody. And that that's a great example that you pointed out with my dad because I could physically see him change in like five minutes. I mean, he he tensed up, the the, the blood kind of drained from his face, he was getting sweaty, he was I mean, physically, and I could just almost hear his mind spinning, just what's going on. Right. And so to have those conversations are really important, really, well, really. Well, and, and one of the things that uh, I don't get into this a whole lot because, quite honestly, it's a little bit different than the focus of my work. And since I originally did my research, uh, a lot more has been written about this. But uh, And it sounds a little cliche, but uh, we do know that laughter – has healthful benefits, and there's some work coming out of India where they they have these laughter groups all over the country where they don't get in and talk about anything. They don't analyze it. They don't sit there and discuss what's happening. They simply laugh, and the idea is that when we laugh, a lot of physical things happen, and some of those physical things are releasing of endorphins and serotonin and things that make us uh, feel better. Um, and the, you know, there's that old that old saying that if you smile, it actually makes you feel better because it's a physical it's a physical act that imposes on the uh, emotional side of things. So I think the, the the other benefit of that whole experience is that when we're in a bad situation, the simple act of laughing at something, regardless of what it is, can make us feel better. Oh, definitely. I, I think it empowers us to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, uh, and again, it, it gets into having having that balance. And um, and again, it you know, when it comes to caregiving, it's about, you know, capturing those moments that you want to remember. I have um, some music videos of my mom that just bring me such joy in her end stages. This was like two years ago where she could still sing a few bars and stuff. And um, it just makes me light up seeing her happy and engaged and and laughing, you know, with right. the music therapist. I, I can be in the worst mood, and I can go and watch a minute clip, and it changes everything for me. Right, right. Seeing her joyful. And so I think as care partners, understanding not only does it have a huge effect on us, um, but it has a huge effect on them. And together, I mean, anytime you, you get that, the laughter or that humor going, it's its infectious. You know, sure it is. You like being around that. I mean, you want to be around someone crabby and, you know, being a sergeant, or do you want to, you know, be around someone who who likes engaging with you? And, again, not where they're over the top and that's all they do and nothing else gets done. Though sometimes right. that's really fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, right. Um, you have to kind of have to kind of balance balance those things out. Um you know, we talked a little bit about how humor, you know, helps us cope in um, in stressful moments um, in our life. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that? Well, I think I think it, again, it goes back to what you just said. It's about the balance, and uh, you know, I would never want anyone to to believe that um, that we pursue the humor at the expense of all else, because it's really about the balance. It's about uh, embracing the fact that we go through serious and fun things in life and that we need both and that it's not an either or and uh and I think sometimes um you know people steer, are shy away from it because it, they think we're minimizing the 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 value or the uh, the seriousness of what's going on and that's really not the case it's about creating that balance so I think that's the most critical part especially when it comes to 
to caring for people who are ill or going through an illness ourselves. Yeah, I I agree. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Ron. I um I so appreciate you um being able to join us this morning. Is there anything else that you wanted to add for our audience? Well, just that um I uh you know, I am I am a terrible patient and uh I can be challenged as a caregiver, so I have the greatest respect for the people in your audience that um they are the ones doing the hard work and uh you know, I feel sometimes that I'm blessed to to be able to to speak to groups and work with people like that. So I just want to share my appreciation and my respect for the the magnitude of the important work that they're doing. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and you have a wonderful week, and I hope to uh, catch up with you soon. You're doing a great job with the National Speakers Association and and all the work that you're doing to help people um, understand humor and uh, the power of it. Well, thank you. I, I am very much honored to be part of your program. It's just uh, you're doing some tremendous work there. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Have a great day, Ron. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, today's program is going to be fairly short because my schedule is just absolutely crazy today. Um, but I do want to remind people that this afternoon at 2 o'clock we are having our Dementia Chats, which is the webinar. So you can go to the blog, go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and to the right-hand corner on the blog, you'll be able to see information on um, Dementia Chats to get the to get the link, or you can um, find it on the website as well. The blog is probably just the, the quickest way. Um, or if you're in Facebook, you can uh, go to Dementia Chats and join the group, and there's a, a direct link there that you can uh, go ahead and um, Join us again. That will be at um, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 Central, noon Pacific time, and that would be then 4 o'clock London time, and we would love to have you participate. Today we're going to be talking about um, basically different support models for people with dementia and caregivers. What's working, what's not, what do we need to create, Um, what are the differences, should people belong to more than one, um, and, you know, how do you find these things? And we'll do some troubleshooting. So we'd love to have you join the conversation on that. For upcoming radio shows, on the 18th, we're going to have Dr. Bill Thomas here with Changing Aging and the Eden Alternative. That'll, he's always a fascinating person to talk to. Big culture change, um, shaker and mover. And then we're going to have an expert on drumming and the effects of that. The 24th, I'm going to be interviewing Kate Swapper, and she is an author over in Australia. And so that'll be a fun show, and that's going to be an evening show, uh, Sunday at 6 p.m. And um, we've got several other shows, of course, lined up as well. So um, in the meantime, I just want to thank everybody for, again, listening in today. If you wouldn't mind tweeting and liking us and Facebooking us and helping us uh, share awareness um, regarding um, Alzheimer's Speaks. I would very much appreciate it. And if you're not sure where an Alzheimer's Association is near you, you can always go to Alzheimer's Disease International, and they have all the locations available for you. So until next time, um, keep in mind the three things your memory chip teaches us when we're giving care. Are they safe? Are they happy and are they pain-free? 
And at alzheimerspeaks.com, you can download that free tool if you'd like as well. So have a great day, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.